Hello, everyone, and welcome. Coming to you from the Bob Varley Studio in Orlando, Florida. I'm Pete Werner, and uh, this is a solo show, uh, episode number 837 for the week of August 11th. Uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that it would be a solo show this week, and doing no small part to the fact that everybody's out of town. Uh, John, Kevin, and the rest of the crew are heading out to California for D23 coming up. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. And uh, Dustin is up in Virginia celebrating his birthday. He turned 29 on Friday, so he's been up visiting his family. And I'm left here by myself, alone. But uh, it's all okay because I am so looking forward to heading up to Halifax, Nova Scotia this week for the Nova Scotia Diz Meet to raise money for Give Kids the World. Uh, it is one of the highlights of my year, something I get to do every year and really enjoy. And uh, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. But um, before we get started, I got a couple things in housekeeping. First, I want to thank everybody who sent in emails to help out Princess Jess down in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, I talked about that on last week's show. She was having some difficulty getting some items shipped to her down in Australia, and she needed some help from folks on the site. And we put the call out on the show, and uh, people people responded. We got over 20 responses, I believe. So that's it, really cool. And I knew that would happen. And, uh, you know, just makes me love you guys even more than I already do. Uh, that you just – opportunity to help, you guys are right there, whether it's something – simple like this or something as important as what we do to raise money for Give Kids the World. We couldn't do what we do with that if it wasn't for you. Your support is is everything. It's everything. And so if I don't say it often enough, let me say it now. Thank you. Thank you for that constant support that you guys show to us and for each other. And uh, it, it really is something that, that does my heart good and makes me very proud of the community that we have especially around around the show so uh, i also mentioned earlier that uh, many members of the team are going to be out in california for d23 and uh, if you're going to be in anaheim for that event please be sure to stop by our booth uh, you're not gonna be able to miss it from what i understand <laughs> we have a huge booth it's like i'm like i'm not kidding it's like 600 square feet or something it's insane John and Kevin, along with Craig and Rhino and Jenny Lynn and Tom Bell and Michael Bowling and Tracy Heinrichs and Corey Martin and Will Perry are all going to be out there doing all sorts of things, covering, obviously, all of the events. Uh, There will be shows being broadcast each day of the conference, I believe, beginning next, this coming Friday. I hope I have that right, but from what I understand, they will be going out live from the show floor 1 p.m. Pacific time and at 6 p.m. Pacific, which will be 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern. And uh, right now, the plan is to do that on both live stream and on YouTube. So now, and and that's all going to come down to the internet connection, which I'm not going to get into it, how much we have to pay for an internet connection, but it's stupid what we're paying for an internet connection for three days we could pay the entirety of everyone's cable bill on the show for like six months it's insane 
It's insane. But it is what it is. We do it for you. But uh, so there will be live uh, live broadcasts coming from the show floor, the D23 show floor. This weekend, uh, go to www.info.com and, of course, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, we'll be putting all the details out there. Social media is going to be a big part of this, I'm sure. And, of course, we will have notices on the Diz homepage as well as DizUnplugged.com. So you won't have any trouble finding us and finding those shows. But they will be up. And, of course, you know, while they're going to be going out live, they'll also be you know, there for you to watch afterwards too, and you know, as always. So very excited about that. And, you know, while I'm a little disappointed that I'm going to miss D23, I, I gotta be honest, uh, you know, if I had to, if I had, well, I did have to choose between D23 and, and Nova Scotia. And it really took me all of about six seconds. I'm not kidding. It took me about six seconds. I'm, I'm going to Nova Scotia. And it's not that I wouldn't want to go out and check out D23. You know, I've talked about many, many times in the lead up to the show what I think they're going to announce. I'm, I'm be stunned if they don't announce Star Wars Land at Hollywood Studios this weekend. And I'm going to have a lot of egg on my face if they don't. And I want to just say, I'm not hedging my, my bets here or backpedaling. I don't have any information, any like solid information or even rumor that they're going to do that. It's just the timing on, on it is just too perfect. They'd be crazy not to announce it then. So that's my that's my feeling. But we're going to find out. A week from now, we will all know if I was right or wrong. But uh, I am so looking forward to Halifax, though. So, But that's it for housekeeping. I've got a couple things in the news I do want to talk about. If you're one of those people who normally glazes over when we do a news story about quarterly earnings reports, please don't. Please don't glaze over here because there are some things that I want to point out. Every three months, as is standard for a publicly traded company, Disney releases their quarterly earnings. And uh, this is done in what's known as an an earnings call with members of the press, usually investor press and things like that. But it's for investors. It's for the financial community. Kind of tell them what the what the story is how's the company doing how much did we make how much profit did we make were sales up or down all that good stuff and disney's earnings calls are almost always very positive it's a well-run company no one can take that away from bob Iger. he's run it very very well and the company's done extraordinarily extraordinarily well financially especially under his leadership and and that hasn't changed here this is the third quarter earnings report came out last week And the reason it's the third quarter is because Disney starts their fiscal year October 1st. So October 1 of 2014 actually began their first quarter for 2015. There are many companies that do that, but there are also companies that start their fiscal year with January 1st. So just depends on the company. But in Disney's case, this is their third quarter. You know, they had some good news. You know, that uh, theme park revenue was up 5.1% to 4.1 4.1 billion with a B dollars. 4.1 billion. Now, normally when we do these stories, we kind of run right past that. We kind of run right past that number. It's always a billion number. But just because there's no one here and I am alone and I have nothing to do, I did some quick and dirty calculations on that number. 
and it comes out to $31,000 a minute. Think about that for a second. $31,000 a minute is what they took in. That's not their profit, mind you. That's their, their earnings. The profit wasn't too, wasn't too shabby either. Uh, $922 million in profit on that, which is an increase of 9% from the previous year. So, you know, theme parks are doing really well. And, of course, they talked about magic bands and how magic bands are really helping with this. And it needs to because it costs the company $2 billion to implement. So, you know, the numbers there on the theme park side of things are doing really, doing really, really well. But there were a couple of areas that the news wasn't quite as good. And while it doesn't have to do with theme parks, I just thought these were interesting, especially because it was last Tuesday, so that would be, I think, the 4th of August, that Disney released their quarterly earnings. The next day, their stock dropped 9%. I'm going to tell you why. One of the areas of the company that didn't do well, isn't doing too well right now, is Disney Interactive. That is the arm of the company, among other things, that is responsible for their video game division. Now, uh, I make no secret uh, on the show that I'm a big video game fan, have been for many, many years. And uh, Disney Infinity, which came out a few years ago, was a real boon for the company. But sales have fallen off on Disney Infinity. And the reason I think sales have fallen off, and I'm not going to go into a whole diatribe on this, but one of the reasons that sales have fallen off on that, from my opinion, is that people people are now on to the scam. You know, when Disney Infinity first came out, you paid, I think it was $80 and $90 for the starter pack, which included a base station that plugged into your Xbox 360 or your PlayStation 3, and I believe two or three figures, uh, because there are these little figures that go along with it that have uh, RFID chips in them that when you put them on this base uh, you can play that character in a particular game or in a particular world and then they have the you know they give you a another thing that goes on the base which is the actual game itself now one of the things that made Disney Infinity unique was that there's also an aspect to it called the toy box, which is where you can basically, in a way, build your own game. And it's very cool, and it's very creative, and you better have a lot of time if you're going to do it, which I don't. I've tried to do it, and I just didn't have that kind of time to invest. So, you know, it was very cool. And then last year, they came out with Disney Infinity 2.0, and I heard about 2.0, and I'm like, okay, cool. Cool. They're coming out with some new characters and some new worlds and some new games, and that's going to be great. What I didn't realize was you had to buy a new starter pack. That base that you got for 1.0 wasn't going to work with the 2.0 stuff. You're going to spend another $80, $90, not to mention all new thing of characters because there's dozens of characters, that, little figurines that go along with this. And they're collectible. And, of course, you know, the Disney fan in me goes nuts, something new to collect. And I did, and I have, and I'm probably going to continue. But it was basically, you know, not hard to spend. Every time one of these comes out, it's not that hard to spend a couple hundred dollars. 
So when 2.0 came out and people found out it was not backwards compatible with 1.0, that you couldn't just go out and buy new characters or new play sets, you, you had to buy a whole new starter pack. I think people got turned off, and I think it's reflecting in the numbers now. There was a 22% decline for Disney Interactive and its console gaming titles, driven in large part by a drop in Disney Infinity. Now, of course, at the end of this month, the end of uh, August, Disney Infinity 3.0 is coming out, and this is the first time that this is the beginning of the marketing push for Star Wars because Disney Disney Infinity 3.0 is really all about Star Wars. And again, it's not ba- you know, it's not compatible with the ones you've already bought. You will have another base station if you're like me, and you will have to buy another starter pack and new characters and things like that. I don't know how much of a lifespan this has. I will tell you that because I don't play it like do the toy box thing and build my own games and my own worlds that I just want to play the games that come prepackaged that you can buy. They're called worlds. And those those worlds as games go are pretty shallow. And that's coming from somebody who's a lousy gamer. I love video games. I'm just not good at them. I have no trouble admitting that. Doesn't stop me from playing them and getting very frustrated and getting very envious when I watch people born after, I don't know, 1985 that seem to have a special gene that they can just do things with these games that I'm not capable of doing, but I still love them. And I'm saying that I find these games to be really kind of shallow and not not have a lot of replay value. And if I can beat it, it's a simple game, and I can beat it. I can beat them, so they're kind of simple games. So I think that's one of the reasons that Disney Interactive may be having some issues. Of course, I think... Because they're releasing the new 3.0 at the end of August, that gives them one month before they close out the books on their fiscal year for 2015. So they're going to post a lot of sales because I think they're going to sell like crazy. And then they'll get another push at the holiday season. So I don't think Disney Interactive is in any danger right now. But I just find the business model to be particularly greedy even for a video game company. But that wasn't the bad news in their earnings report. That's not why their stock took such a huge hit the next day. That, that's about a ESPN. Disney cut its earnings forecast for ESPN, namely because there has been a fairly large drop in subscribers. And this is a direct result of what is known as cord cutting. This is the thing that has got the media companies just crapping in their drawers right now. People getting rid of their cable subscriptions and consuming television through online, whether it's Hulu Plus or, you know, now HBO, uh, HBO Now, where you can buy HBO, you can get HBO without a cable subscription, Showtime's doing the same thing. A lot of these companies are moving to this a la carte model because more and more people are getting away from the cable bill, that ridiculous bill we get every month, and I won't even tell you what mine is. 
I have two internet connections coming in the house. One just for the studio, one for the rest of the house. Not to mention, I have to be entertained at all times in every room. So I've got a ton of televisions and I, you know, I have to be entertained at all times. So my cable bill is high. And I get the I get the drive for cord cutting because I think about it all the time myself. Just not to a place yet where I, I would do it. But more and more, you're seeing companies, you're seeing uh, media companies start to offer their products outside of cable. Nielsen, the Nielsen company, the company that does the TV ratings, recently reported that ESPN lost 3.2 million households in the last 12 months. On the earnings call, Bob Iger said that that number is actually smaller than what Nielsen reported, but that response from him tells me that Nielsen wasn't too far off. Because if it had been, if 3.2 million had been a ridiculous number, Iger would have said Nielsen is just completely off base. It's nowhere close to that. Iger just said it's lower than that. So it could be 3.1 million or 3 million. But still, the point is, ESPN is bleeding subscribers. And as a result, Disney had to cut their forecasts. Now, ESPN is pretty much like the crown jewel of cable channels. It's been a huge profit engine for the company. It was a brilliant acquisition on Disney's part. Uh, Disney generates about 50% of their profit every year from their cable division. And a large part of that is driven by ESPN. So when they report that ESPN is in trouble or there's a hiccup, of course, they tried to put the best face on it. I mean, Wall Street just loses their mind. And so there was a sell-off, 9%. So Bob Iger also said on that call, if it continues to decline, they will not rule out spinning ESPN off into a standalone product that people can do a la carte the way they're doing. CBS is doing it now, Showtime, HBO. They are not ruling it out, which has got to make cable companies very nervous. But this is where the industry is going, and it got me thinking. Universal, Orlando, or Universal in general, is owned by Comcast. It's a cable company. What is this environment going to look like five years from now? Because this is where it's going. This is where it's going. Cable companies are going to lose more and more customers as people cord cut and just pay for the channels they want. And I think within five years, you're going to be able to pretty much just watch, just pay for the things you want to watch. And have a lot more control over how much money you spend on your in-home entertainment every month. And what's that going to do to Comcast? I don't know. It's going to make it a lot more difficult to spend a half a billion dollars a year on new investments. But it's very rare that a Disney earnings call has anything negative in it. So that's what got my attention. It also, because tis the season, SeaWorld also released their third quarter earnings. 
And this wasn't negative. This was a disaster. This is an unmitigated disaster. An 84% decrease, 84% decrease in profit. And they're trying to put a good face on it. SeaWorld Chief Executive Joel Manby said, quote, we acknowledge we still have much work ahead of us. Let me assure you that we remain steadfast in our efforts to overcome these challenges and improve the performance of our company. That's basically, please don't shoot me. Net income for the quarter was at 5.8 million, down from 37 million, the same point last year. Uh, Attendance was down 2%, just under 2% for the quarter. And the company is saying that's because of the timing of the Easter holiday, heavy rains in Texas, and what they're referring to as brand challenges over killer whales in captivity. And uh, they also say the profit decline can be largely attributed to discounted ticket prices, a decrease in attendance, and increased marketing expenses. That's what you call a perfect storm for a theme park. Discounted ticket prices, lower attendance, and increased marketing costs. That's about as bad as it gets. And now... And I'm not saying they deserve this at all, but I, it's now it's now time to say it's in a free fall. At SeaWorld's in a free fall. And I don't think they can have too many more quarters like this without something extraordinary changing. And it makes me angry. It makes me angry because this was a left-wing, tree-hugging hippie hit job. Is exactly what this was, that whole Blackfish documentary. If you're one of the people who bought that hook, line, and sinker, all I would ask is that you do some research and find out what the other side is and find out just how dishonest and deceptive that documentary was. There is an argument to be made about whether or not killer whales should be in captivity. But this... This hit job is disgusting, and the people behind it are disgusting. And I stand by everything I've said about SeaWorld. It is an amazing theme park. There are amazing people working there. There is a lot of work done in this area, in Florida, by SeaWorld, Animal Rescue, that's not on the news, that's not part of a press release. And maybe they need to start doing that. Maybe they really need to start showing people what it is they do outside of the park. And how much they care for these animals and how much goes into animal care and how much they invest both in terms of time and passion and money in animal care. It just makes me angry because they don't deserve this. They don't deserve this. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You had, there's another story I saw today, uh, for those of you who've maybe seen it on MTV or seen the movies, Jackass. It was a, you know, an aptly named series and, and movie, a series of movies as well. And Steve, one of the guys that's part of it, his name is Steve-O. And he was arrested yesterday for staging a protest on top of a crane in Los Angeles 
uh, about SeaWorld with a blow-up killer whale or something. <sighs> they drive me crazy. I swear to God, the extreme left drives me as crazy as the extreme right does. It just drives me crazy. It's like, oh, God. God. <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact I love my country, I'd go live in Canada. But that's... Uh, it's just, it's, it's just sad. It's just sad. All around. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about. Apparently, July 31st was beat up on Disney Day on a website called thefederalist.com. Uh, there were two articles published that day by two different contributors to the site. The first one is, Disney World is the worst thing ever. You should definitely go by, oh, I'm going to mess up this name, David Harsanyi, who proceeds for several paragraphs to complain about Disney World and how expensive it is and how hot it is and how long the lines are. And uses one phrase, if Disney World is actually 27,000 acres or 43 square miles, it's not. It's 47 square miles, but who's, who's counting? Featuring 27 resort hotels, four theme parks, two water parks, four golf courses, and a miniature golf course, a camping resort, and a downtown, then why can't I take two steps without bumping into a rotund human drenched in sweat? Okay. Mr. Happy Fun Guy goes to Disney World. And this is coming from me. He goes on to say, the U.S. Army Field Manual lists the following as examples of physical torture. Forcing an individual to stand, sit, or kneel in, an, in abnormal positions for prolonged periods of time, food deprivation, and any form of beating. In Walt Disney World, you are subjected to two out of the three, and it's more than likely you'll want to inflict the third on the next person who asks you to have a magical day. Yeah, this guy makes me look like Tinkerbell, okay? Except he's going there with kids. And he, he just goes on to complain along those lines about going to Disney in the summer and how long the lines are and how hot it is. And it, it, it now granted, granted, you know, we're, we're fans. We keep on top of stuff. We know the parks inside and out. This is what we do. We do it for fun. We do it for a living. It's what we do. So I, I get, I'll grant you that, you know, I am not your average theme park visitor. But under what rock do you live? If you are going to go to Disney World in July and you think it's not going to be hot and crowded, you don't have to follow the boards. You don't have to listen to podcasts. You don't have to pick up a guidebook. You don't really even have to have an IQ above 50 to realize that if you go to Disney World in July, it is going to be hot and crowded. Why? Because the kids are out of school. Now, I'm not saying that you know people are wrong for going in July. I'm just saying people are wrong for being upset when they get here in July because it's hot and it's crowded. Of course it's going to be hot and crowded. It's Disney World in July, you tool. What is wrong with you? 
He finishes his article by saying, but, I, but as I deride the experience, it's worthwhile to remember the most important thing. It's not about us. My kids met some wonderful people during my four-day stay. That's rather a mistake. You're trying to do this in four days. From around the country and around the world. They were trapped with me for four straight days, something that's getting increasingly difficult to pull off. And I'm sure, based on the way you've written this, you're probably not the most enjoyable person to be trapped with for four days. And though I mostly remember the lines, the heat, and the misery, my kids mostly remember the rides and the fun. And if someone asks me to prove that I have boundless love for my children, I will simply tell them that I spent a day at the Magic Kingdom, and that should be more than enough. Wow, you are one miserable guy. Um, You know, I think it would have been nice if he'd said, you know, and I got, you know, I got to really spend four quality days with my kids. Maybe instead of bitching about the fact that it's hot and crowded in July in Disney World, maybe you just focus on your kids. I realize sometimes this stuff can be tough, that it can be annoying and it can be expensive. And but you know what? And I've had to learn how to do this. Who am I there with? Who's next to me? And the minute I focus on that, the minute I look at I'm there with my mother, my 84-year-old mother, and I don't know how many times I'll get to go into the parks with her before the good Lord takes her, which I hope is a very, very long time, but she's 84. My sister, my nieces, my friends, The minute I stop and focus on who I am there with, suddenly the lines and the crowds and the heat and the price don't seem as important. So often that gets left out of the complaints. So often that gets left out of the tirades. And I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I've been guilty of it. But I also like to think I have at least a modicum of self-awareness when it comes to this stuff. Found out not too long ago that my sister and her family from Massachusetts are going to be coming for Thanksgiving. And this is actually going to be my sister's first time coming down here. Sister doesn't fly. She hates to fly. But she's going to brave a plane. Her and her husband. Her husband has no problem flying, but she does. And, uh, you know, it's also her her husband's a teacher and recently retired. And uh, while he was working, you know, the only time they would be able to come is the summer. And he's British and he would end up in a pool uh, of sweat. Uh, He just does not do the heat. So I understood that they couldn't make it. So I'm so excited. I'm going to have that those members of my family here, along with my nephew, James, and his wife, Amy, and their two kids, Victoria and Robbie. Um, Victoria's seven, Robbie's three. Uh, I'm so incredibly excited that I'm going to get to have that experience with them and to be planning a trip, helping them plan this trip and making reservations and, you know, talk to me about how expensive things are. I just did a candlelight processional dinner package for 10 people. Um, So, you know, you look at that price like, ow. But you don't keep, you know, at the end of the day, too, you're like, okay, I don't care experience with my family. Think about who you're with the next time you want to complain about it. But that was not the only complaint that the Federalist had on July 31st with another article 
called Why I Won't Go to Disney World. Written by Mrs. Happy Fun Guy, Nicole Russell. And she lists the reasons why Disney is not something she's going to do. First, it's ridiculously expensive. That um, the cheapest a family of four, two adults and two kids can go to Disney is nearly $4,000. Well, no, you're wrong. Okay, you're just wrong. If you know what you're doing and you do a little research, uh, then no, you can actually, and that may mean staying off property. That may mean making some some concessions. But it does not necessarily have to be $4,000, and there are people who do it for less. Disney World is manufactured fun. (laughs) Because this is a bad thing, okay? So are movies. So are television shows. So is the so are the articles that you write. They are manufactured entertainment because not much entertainment is natural. There is certainly natural beauty in ways to be entertained in nature. I'm sure I've heard. I wouldn't personally know, but Disney is manufactured fun. But at the, and she writes at the same time you're spending a couple months' salary. Many families save years to enjoy a world based on the mini worlds created on screen by a company that specializes in seducing and amazing children. It's so American, so first world, so anti-cultural. Okay, you'll excuse me while I throw up a little bit in my mouth. Disney World is really narrow. Pardon me for writing about Disney and then waxing philosophical, but I tend to believe you have money for what you want to have money for. If you spend $8,000 on a family vacation to eat dinner with Cinderella, notice how the price went from $4,000 to $8,000. Uh, to eat dinner with Cinderella, those are your values if by default. Ugh. You know, ugh. Those values communicate something and don't just don't reflect my family's values. Obviously, the vacation can't be free, but for that much money, I'd rather not stand in the hot Florida sun only to whiz down a ride on Magic Mountain. This is the second person writing for this tool-infested website that gets their facts wrong. It's Splash Mountain, not Magic Mountain. The other guy called uh, Animal Kingdom Wild Kingdom. But, you know, I, I just, I hear things like this and I say to myself, so why is this website beating up on Disney? What could their motivation be? And I really don't have an answer for it. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe they got, they didn't get invited to something. <laughs> or maybe they tried to parlay their their status as a contributor, senior contributor to this website into getting some comps and they didn't get them uh, because Disney's not real good about that. She finishes her article by saying, do I think other families are wasting their time, money, and energy taking their children to Disney World? Not exactly. Everyone is different. Everyone likes different things. For some families, Disney makes sense. It just doesn't for ours. So when you get back from Disney and we get back from the beach, you can look at we can look at pictures on our phones and smile and be happy for everyone. Yeah, but your children are going to wish they were in Disney World, okay? Your kids are going to wish that they had gone to Disney World and not the beach. But I at least appreciate her saying that it's not for everyone, although the paragraph before, she was kind of condescending about it. And I, I, look, Disney World's not for everybody, but the constant complaints about hot and expensive. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And what's your point? It's also world-class entertainment, world-class dining. 
world-class hotels in most cases. There's a reason it's so popular. There's a reason so many people go. And not all of them are mouth-breathing knuckle-draggers who just don't have any sense of culture. I've traveled the world. I can appreciate that, and I can appreciate Walt Disney World. Those things are not mutually exclusive. They are, I guess, if you're snobbish and pretentious and feel that, you know, Disney World is beneath you, which is the entire theme of that article. But I just wonder why this website, maybe somebody who knows the website better than I do can tell me why. But I just thought that was interesting as I was doing some research for the show. Those two articles came up on Google News. I was just like, okay, that's interesting. So, all right, we're going to move on and we're going to take some voicemails. But there's a couple of emails. Before we do the voicemails, there's some emails I want to read. The first one comes from Jason in Washington, D.C. He has two questions. First, I'm working to convince my 74-year-old mother, who has not been to the parks in roughly 30 years, to join us on a future Walt Disney World trip. You have told many stories of your mother visiting the parks, and I'm wondering what attractions and activities does she enjoy the most? Uh, where do you draw the line on what she should and shouldn't do? Uh, it, it really, I'll get to your second question in a, in a moment, but uh, in terms of that, again, these things are very specific depending on a, a number of factors, not the least of which is what kind of health your mother is in. Now, you know, fortunately, my mother's in very good health. With that said, though, one thing that we have to watch with her in particular is dehydration. She gets dehydrated very, very quickly. And it's a side effect of some of the medications that she takes. Uh, she has high blood pressure. And some of the medications that she takes mess with her, mess with you know, her ability to stay hydrated. So we have to watch her. We can't have, I can't have her out for any length of time in extreme heat. So we stop going to the parks in the summer. And it's fall and winter and all depends on the temperature. Uh, the other thing is pacing. Uh, mom is 84 and in great shape, but she, she doesn't move quite as fast as she used to, as is completely understandable at 84. So it's about pacing. Commando touring is out of the question. It's just out of the question. So what I do when I know mom, I'm going to have mom in the park, it's... It's about taking your time. It's about enjoying the place. Kind of what I was speaking about just a little while ago. It's about enjoying who you're with, enjoying where you are, and enjoying the experience. And not that it can't be that race to get on as many rides as we can. There are certain rides my mom's not going to do. You know, she's not doing Tower of Terror. She's not doing Test Track. She's not doing Space Mountain. She did do, she used to do Splash Mountain. She doesn't do it anymore, but she used to, and that was a big, oh my God, big, big, big thing. As a matter of fact, I know I've mentioned this before, uh, my mother and father doing Splash Mountain back in 1997 was the, ended up being the whole impetus behind starting the Diz. I'd scanned the pictures from that trip, including that picture of my mother and father on Space Mountain or Splash Mountain. <clears throat> and I was playing around with web, web design, and I put some of those pictures up for my niece in 
Massachusetts to see. And actually, it just kind of, I kind of built on that, and that's how the Diz got formed. But um, it's, it really comes down to what she's comfortable with. At 74, yeah, you're going to want to avoid, just in general, I would avoid any of the extreme rides. Any of the dark rides are fine. Mom loves Small World. Mom loves Winnie the Pooh. Mom does Soren. We do Soren all the time. Spaceship Earth, rides like that. That is one of the things I really appreciate about Disney is there are a lot of options there. There are a lot of options for people who don't do roller coasters. I don't do roller coasters anymore just because I don't need to feel the fat in front of me defying gravity, okay? I just don't need that. And that in my back, you know, I got to watch my back. Sound like an old man, but it is what it is. So that's, uh, you know, the dark rides, stuff that isn't spinning, twirling, dropping, and doing more than five miles an hour. I think you're all good. Your second question was, I've been listening to the podcast for about three years and recently decided to go back to the beginning and listen to all the shows. I'm currently in August 2007. So what I'm wondering is, is there any way to see any of the old, old videos from those days? I couldn't find them on YouTube. I would love to see Bob's Car Cam, Julie, Southern California videos and others. Yeah, there is. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes page, disunplugged.com. The old Diz Unplugged YouTube channel. Uh, we'd been doing, we'd had a Diz Unplugged YouTube channel for a while. And then I want to say about a year or two, maybe about 2010, 2011, before Dustin came on board, we switched over to WDW Info and we decided not to move that stuff over. We were going to kind of break it up and do Diz Unplugged related things on the Diz Unplugged channel and other things, Diz things on the Diz channel. And we ended up just using the Diz channel. So there is a YouTube channel. You can just do a search on Diz Unplugged. And uh, there's a channel out there for it. And uh, those videos are all there. All those old videos are all there. But uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes page, disunplugged.com. So, but thank you, Jason. I appreciate your email. Uh, Another one coming from Marcy in Walden, New York. Uh, I'm really enjoying your most recent podcast about the Backstage Magic San Francisco ABD trip. I've listened to your trip reports in the past about your other ABD adventures, and I'd love to try one out one day. I just have a quick question you've mentioned before regarding the Backstage Magic trip that in Imagineering they show you some truly amazing things. You've been reluctant to share what any of those are, and I'm just curious as to why that is, since you've also said that they change it every time. So am I correct in assuming that if I booked a Backstage Magic next year, I wouldn't see the same things that you did? And if so, what's the harm in sharing what you saw? Well, the reason we don't share what we see is because these things, I, we want these things to be a surprise. We want people to be surprised by this. We don't want people to know. So there are things that we do share about that trip, but, and it's really hard to explain without giving anything away. At Imagineering, we do the same things. We just see different things while we're doing it. I don't know how else to explain it. It changes around. Every time I go, at least something on this trip changes. And Disney is wonderful about, about doing that. They're just wonderful about it. So 
we don't share it because we don't want to ruin that experience for the people who do it. And that's the reason why. But with all that said, I can tell you, if you go on the trip next year, you won't regret it. You will not regret it. I don't think I've had one person that's done the trip, or at least that they have, they haven't told me. Not one person that's done the trip with us has ever come out the other side and said, nah, I shouldn't have done it. Not one. And we've been doing these now for a few years. We've done a lot of them. In fact, we have a lot of people that have done them more than once. So I can tell you that. You'll be glad you did. But thank you for writing in, Marcy. I appreciate it. And one more email before we go to voicemails. Donna in Burlington, Vermont writes, uh, do you find Disneyland to be cleaner and friendlier than Disney World? I don't even have to keep going. I can stop right there. Yes. I find Disney Cruise Line to have the classic service the parks used to have. Preach it, sister. Uh, I miss it so much in Disney World. I'm heading out to California in September based on all of your amazing reviews. I am sure it will not disappoint. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, to everything. Uh, yes, Disney Cruise Line does have that classic service that, the, that Disney World used to have. Yes, Disneyland is absolutely cleaner and friendlier and better run than Walt Disney World is, in my opinion. And uh, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think anybody who spent time in both places can't walk away without saying that, you know, from a fan perspective anyway, the legacy is so much more alive out in Disneyland than it is here. There was a time the legacy was alive here, but it's... I'm not going to say the legacy in world is dead. I'm just going to say it's been in a coma for a very long time. And there's not much brain activity. So, but thank you, uh, Donna, for writing in. All right, so as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be taking some voicemails. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail or send us feedback via email, just head out to disunplugged.com. You'll find our show notes there, but also on the right-hand side of every page, you will see a thing that says contact us. And from there, you can either fill out the form, send an email, or you can go ahead and record a voicemail right from your computer. No phone required. So with that, we're going to take a voicemail from David Henry. Hey guys, it's Dave here from Sydney, New South Wales. Love your show. We're coming over there in um, December and just wanted to know your suggestions on what is the best thing to do on Christmas Day while we're there, because obviously we won't be at home, and also what would be the best thing to do for New Year's Eve. Okay, thanks. Okay, well, Christmas Day and New Year's Eve. Um, two incredible times to be at Walt Disney World, to be sure, uh, but uh, also the two busiest days of the year. So... Here are my, not not knowing anything about your family makeup or, you know, who you're traveling with. Christmas Day. You know, I think probably the best thing to do Christmas Day, seriously, is be in the Magic Kingdom to watch the Christmas parade. Uh, It's it's iconic. It's, you know, uh, even though it's on television that day, it's not actually being broadcast live. It's taped a few weeks before time. But uh, you will run into Kathy Whirling uh, in the park that day. She's there every Christmas morning. Uh, Obviously, it's a day you want to get there early. Christmas is going to be busy. And uh, 
clearly, I'm hoping that if you are planning on being there that particular week, that you have already started making your ADRs for dining and all that other good stuff because it's going to be a busy week. That is the single busiest week of the year. For Christmas lunch or Christmas dinner, I would suggest probably getting out of the parks. It's just going to be nuts. And, you know, depending on where you are, if you're at the Magic Kingdom that day, which I think if I'm going to be any place on Christmas Day, probably the Magic Kingdom, uh, taking a look at, uh, you know, heading over to the Poly, even if you can't get reservations at Kona Cafe, uh, I found the food at Captain Cook's to be awesome. So, you know, and just a cool place to be, cool vibe. Not as much. I mean, you can go over to the Wave at the Contemporary. It's not my favorite place in the world, to be honest with you. Um, a boat launch from the Magic Kingdom over to Wilderness Lodge, Whispering Canyon would be good. Uh, those are all anything on the anything at one of the uh, Walt Disney World or the uh, Magic Kingdom resorts. So that's uh, Polynesian Contemporary, Grand Floridian, uh, Wilderness Lodge, and also Fort Wilderness, which is another great idea. Take the boat launch over to Fort Wilderness and go have, uh, go eat like a fat American over at the Trails End buffet. It's awesome. It's awesome. I think Australians, when they eat American food like that, don't feel well afterwards because I don't think you guys are used to eating the way we eat at, at uh, buffets like that. But nonetheless, uh, that's my suggestion for Christmas. Uh, as far as New Year's goes, Epcot. Epcot, 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 Epcot. It's such a great environment. It's a great environment for New Year's. It really is. So I would, you know, I, I did it once. I did it once. I meant to do it last year and just didn't because I didn't feel like being anywhere. I just felt like being home. But Epcot puts on a great party, and it is one big party. And... Uh, Again, the Magic Kingdom, I'm sure, is very special. I've heard people say good things. I just think Epcot absorbs the crowds better. <laughs> but something you want to be mindful of for both Christmas and New Year's. These are days, or New Year's Eve, these are days historically that the parks close for capacity. So, if you are planning to be there, like on Christmas, if you're going to go outside the park to eat, then be prepared that you may not get back in. Uh, so have a plan to go to another park. If Magic Kingdom closes for capacity, which it almost certainly will on Christmas Day. Uh, I was worried about that a few years ago at Epcot for New Year's Eve. Turned out it never did. But again, Epcot holds a lot more people. So consider that. But again, I would be making my priority seatings for dining on New Year's Eve now. If you haven't done them already, I would suggest making them now. But should be fun. Should be fun. Great time to be here. But also... Pack your patience. It's not going to be hot, but it's going to be busy. And the lines are going to be long. It's Christmas at Disney World. As I just mentioned about these two articles of people complaining about prices and, and heat and wait times. If you're going to go to Disney at Christmas, expect there to be other people. So thank you, David, for sending that in. All right, our next one is from Jennifer Walker. Pete, you wanted some questions for your solo show, so here goes. This is Jennifer. We've met a few times at the New Jersey Dismeets, and in fact, I was the fortune teller at the most recent one. 
I have two questions for you. First, I've heard you say that Disney does lurk on the boards and listens to the podcast. What I wanted to know is, when you've had ideas or problems, especially the stuff that you've ranted on, have you ever gotten a response from Disney directly where they've solved the problem or taken your suggestion? My second question is this. My husband and I are hoping to move to Florida within the next year or so once my company has an opening in their Tampa office. We're looking at houses halfway between Tampa and Orlando so I can easily access both work and Disney and also give kids the world because I do like volunteering there. And I wanted to know as a local down there, are there particular towns you would suggest that we look into or are there particular towns that you suggest we stay away from? I want to thank you for your opinion. I really enjoyed the podcast, so please say hi to the whole uh, podcast team for me. And I hope you have a magical day. Well, thank you for that, Jennifer. Um, first off, um, honestly, the uh, the towns between Disney and Tampa are not something I'm real familiar with. I I rarely ever go south of uh, of the world unless I'm driving down to Miami. So I really couldn't offer you any, any, uh, any good ideas in terms of where, where to live and where not to live uh, with that. So I'm sorry, but you know, maybe some other member of the team might in some future time have some feedback for you on that, but I don't. Um, in terms of Disney listening to the show, uh, the, the, the quick answer to your question is no. Uh, they have never contacted me to say that, uh, you know, oh, we heard you complain about this or we heard you mention that. Um, and as a general rule, they don't. Um, they, don't uh, they don't post on the boards. They don't. They, they lurk. They listen. They take the information in. I know there are things that we have talked about on the show, things we have criticized that within a certain amount of time have changed, whether or not that is directly because of the show or because we're spotting things that other people are feeding back. I don't know. Uh, so I have no proof of that. <clears throat> I mean, I know for a fact people from Disney listen to the show. But I can't sit here and say, yes, when we ranted about this, this changed or that changed. Or, um, and at the end of the day, I don't care. To be honest with you, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't mind Disney listening. I can't really stop them, but uh, I don't care whether or not they, you know, take anything that we say and, and do anything with it. I, if they do, that's great. But, uh, you know, the show is not about talking to Disney. The show is about talking to our audience and giving our honest opinions on on Disney and. You know, as I've said many times in the past, um, while we are, uh, I am in particular, very critical of Disney, uh, it's always on specifics. It's never on the experience. It's never on don't go to Disney World because that's not how I feel. God help me if I ever did because then I'd, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> but I always, you know, I feel that, you know, Disney's a great place to go. But you got to know how to navigate it. You got to know what to do, what not to do. And the way you do that is research. And you research by reading websites, guidebooks, discussion forums, podcasts, ours and others. And you take that information in. You think about your family and what your family needs and wants and expects to experience when they come here. And you make decisions based on that. 
Um, that is the point of the show. That is the point of the show is not to speak to Disney. It is not to influence Disney. If that ends up being a, a byproduct of it, great. I know they listen because, you know, we have gotten feedback roundabout uh, based on some of the negative things, especially when I was calling Meg Crofton the cleaning woman. Um, I definitely heard some things uh, that did not go over well, but, you know, it is what it is. But thank you. Thank you for sending that in. All right, next up, Justin Mendoza. Hey, everyone. My name is Justin. I come from Pflugerville, Texas. And uh, some of my favorite segments of the show uh, revolve around you guys talking about hypothetical things like additions to the theme parks and uh, other such subjects. Um, But I did want to ask you guys, uh, if you were Imagineers, uh, what are some of the attractions that you would either uh, modify or take out and add in something else? Or um, if they were to open a fifth gate at Walt Disney World, what do you think it would possibly be? All righty. Thank you. Well, thank you, Justin. Um, yeah, you know, listening to these voicemails, I'm starting to wonder if it's wise for me to not screen these ahead of time. Not that there's anything wrong with his, his voicemail. I just would like to, you know, maybe have some ideas in, in mind before. But I guess there's something charming to the off-the-cuff nature of it. Um I'm going to take the second part of your question first. Uh, If there were to be a fifth gate, what would I want it to be? That's very different than what I think it would be. Um, Back in the late 90s, right before 9-11, they had greenlit a fifth gate at Walt Disney World. Uh, It was going to be a villain's theme park. And... Of course, 9-11 changed everything. And I don't think those plans have been dusted off. That I would love. A theme park based on the villains. I think would be absolutely incredible. I think it would be a huge hit. And I think it is where Disney could probably just shut down the whole Harry Potter discussion in terms of competition uh, in one massive in one massive move. Uh, It's not going to happen, or at least not yet. And I think what we might see is with Tom Staggs eventually taking over the company, taking over Disney, somebody from Parks and Resorts, somebody who, based on everything I've seen and everything I've heard, somebody who is very in touch and in tune with the parks, you might see him greenlight it. But for Disney to do a park the way they need to do it, at this stage of the game, we're looking at 3 to $4 billion. And even for a company the size of Disney, that's a big chunk of change. For that reason, and especially given the fact that I think they're going to spend somewhere on the order of a billion and a half to two and a half billion on the Star Wars expansion at Hollywood Studios... I I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. But that's what I'd want to see. In terms of attractions, the first thing I would do is uh, start giving some love to some of the classics. Carousel of Progress is in absolute, utter need of a rehab. Not just a rehab, but an expansion. That attraction 
represents something so incredibly important in Disney history. It, it is a, a touchstone of the 64 World's Fair, which was a seminal moment for the theme parks. It was a seminal moment for Walt Disney Imagineering. Some of the greatest attractions, the most classic attractions in Disney theme parks were popularized at the 64 World's Fair, Carousel of Progress being one of them. And I ride it fairly regularly. Every time I'm in the Magic Kingdom, I try and get over there. And I have to look past the missing roof tiles, the broken speakers, the tattered seats, the worn carpet, the sets that clearly haven't been maintained and work very hard to be in touch with that legacy. And then it makes me sad because I think in a way it is a statement on how the current management at Walt Disney World and Disney, Disney in Burbank consider the legacy. It's not important. It's not important. If it was, they would never allow an attraction like Carousel of Progress to be in the condition that it's in. It's sad. It's absolutely sad. That's where I think they should start. It's great to spend all this money on expansion. But how about throwing a little bit of money? By comparison, pocket change. So that your classic attractions, the ones that are the foundation of the company, they are the shoulders that these some of these posers stand on. Why not throw some pocket change at that, clean it up, so it doesn't look so sad? You know, we talked about the the amount of money made in a quarter at Disney. And look, I begrudge them nothing. We're a capitalist society. They are a public corporation. They are in it to make money, and they should. I got nothing but good things to say about that. I got a problem with the fact that very little of it goes to clean the bathrooms. I have a problem with the fact that very little of it goes to maintain some of these attractions. I was on Buzz Lightyear not too long ago. Stunned at how tattered and worn and old and spent that. There was a time. There was a time that never, ever, ever would have happened. But go to a, I'm a, I'm a smoker. I go to a smoking area and I see the ashtrays just overflowing with cigarette butts. Never used to happen. Walk into a men's room. I don't know about the ladies' room because I don't go into the ladies' room. But the men's rooms are disgusting in those parks. I go into some of these attractions and I see that and then I hear these quarterly reports and I'm like, okay, great. That's fantastic. Can you spend just a little bit of that? You don't have to spend $100 million rehabbing Carousel of Progress. But spend some money and some time and some attention. What the hell happened to that? I was hoping when George Caligridis came out from Disneyland that maybe some of that would have 
would have changed. But it hasn't. And I've come to realize that the president of Walt Disney World is simply a figurehead position that they don't do anything. They don't do anything. They're controlled by Burbank and Burbank calls the shots. And, you know, it's, you know, clearly now because what happens is, is they go to become president of Walt Disney World and then they go to worldwide operations, which, as we said before, is the, you know, it's the farm where Disney executives can run free before they die. Um, And really, you know, it's just... uh, (laughs) <laughs> to use an expression, it's God's waiting room. Um, the, the presidency of Walt Disney World is basically God's waiting room. And I think Caligaritas probably just sigh, breathed a sigh of relief leaving Disneyland that he didn't have to answer to the fans here, doesn't have to answer to the fans here the way he did. Because the fans in Disneyland, they would not put up with this crap for a second. They'd be up in arms. We don't have that that vocal, organized, local fan base out here that has that sense of ownership in these parks. And if we did, it would be different. If we did, it would be different, but we don't. So I don't know if any of that answers your question at all, but there it is. And there's a little rant for those of you who look forward to those things. Up next, Nick. Speak to me, Nick. Hi, Pete. This is Nick Chappell in Virginia Calling, and I have a question for you. I recently bought into the Disney Vacation Club and purchased 210 points with the Poly being my home resort, which I'm super excited about. I already have a trip booked through David's DVC rental for November at Bay Lake Towers and then use my new points through DVC to stay at the Polynesian over spring break of next year. I also have my first ever Disneyland trip booked for next summer and will be staying at the Disneyland Hotel based on your stellar review from the Disneyland edition of the 7 and 7 you all did. So I've got quite a few Disney trips lined up, but looking ahead to the spring or summer of 2017, I would like to book a stay at my favorite resort, which is the Beach Club, using my DVC points. Now, I've stayed there about 10 times, but haven't stayed at the Villas since about 2006. I know they were getting a little outdated and needed some freshening up, and I read a few months ago online uh, and on the boards that all the villas are indeed getting some makeovers, which are much needed for sure. So my question to you is, do you know if work has already Mm -hmm. started on the Beach Club Villas? And if so, is there a completion date or a completion date, if I can talk, for those? Um, I really want to stay there in 2017, but not in the rooms that they're still being worked on, so I don't know if you have any more information on that. So... Any word on that would be great. And one last thing, my trip in November is my first as a DVC member. So do you have any cool perks I should take advantage of while I'm down there? I know with your card you can get up onto the top of the World Lounge in Bay Lake Towers, which is really cool. But anything else I should be on the lookout for to take advantage of with my DVC would be great to find out. Thanks in advance, and I enjoy listening to you and the crew every week. All right. Well, thank you, Nick. I appreciate the... uh... Appreciate the call. A couple things in terms of perks with DVC. I know that for 2015, some things changed. Some things were taken off. I I know the uh, Hollywood Brown Derby discount was taken off. uh, And I think uh, something else was taken off, but I don't remember what it was off the top of my head. I mean, you get some discounts. You definitely get some discounts that you don't get with the annual pass. In terms of other perks, of, of course, if you're staying at Bay Lake Tower, getting up to Top of the World is pretty cool. Uh, I have never been up there. I'd love to see it. That's certainly a, a, a cool perk that's only for DVC members, and that's the way it should be. 
I know people that rent at Bay Lake Towers bitch that they can't get up there, but you know what? You're you just spent two hundred and ten bought two hundred and ten points at Poly, so you just dropped a nice load of change, and that has to come with perks. I think it probably come with more perks, but that being what it is. In terms of Beach Club, uh, from what I understand, Beach Club went down, uh, or Beach Club Villas went down for rehab on uh, toward the end of May, and it's a, I think is supposed to be open, supposed to be finished by the end of December, uh, which I thought was a pretty aggressive rehab schedule because they can't do them all at once. But uh, that's what they're saying that it'll be up. I I, I want to say I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, so don't quote me. But I think. It's like mid-December, late December. Well, no, they'd have it done before Christmas. So let's say probably mid-December if they're going to get it done by then. But they were in desperate, desperate need of rehab. There's no question. That being said, I still loved it when we stayed there. I just like the layout, the size. It just. But, of course, my favorite, my favorite two-bedroom villa, hands down, hands down, hands down, Wilderness Lodge. Just incredible, incredible. And for those who aren't familiar with what, Nick was talking about David's DVC Rentals. David uh, David's DVC Rentals is a uh, a sponsor uh, on the Diz on the boards, and uh, basically uh, people put their points up for rent through David's, and uh, then you go to David's and you can rent those points. And David, it kind of acts as the David's. Like I say, it's David himself. Just he's got people working for him too. But uh, David's DVC Rentals handles that transaction, so you have. A level of security. I mean, we do it on the boards too, and we have very good luck with people going directly, just you know, kind of bringing people together on our, our DVC rent trade board. Uh, it's a lot less expensive doing that that way if you want to experience a DVC resort uh, as opposed to calling Disney and renting those units as a hotel room. Disney does that, but it's a huge savings by renting points from people, and it is totally legal. Uh, Disney allows it. Disney would have stopped it by now if it wasn't. But uh, so I hope that answers your question in terms like, you know, I'm not that familiar with uh, DVC perks. I'm not a DVC member. If John were here, he'd be able to tell you more. I know that they do a lot of the, you know, they do a lot of member only special events. Like I mentioned earlier in this show, we uh, had a chance to see Tomorrowland uh, a week before it was in theaters. Uh, because John was a DVC member. And uh, we were talking about Nicole Mancini uh, getting a chance to do a luau and tour of the bungalows. So they do these things. So keeping your eyes open for that uh, certainly would be something to to pay attention to. So thanks for the voicemail. Uh, next up, we have Nicole. Hi there. This is Nicole phoning in from Vancouver, BC, Canada. Just had a couple of things I wanted to to ask or talk about, but first off, just wanted to start by saying a huge thank you to the entire team for all you guys do each week. Your dedication to all things Disney is so evident, and your passion for your work really, really shines through in each show. You clearly all love what you do, and it shows with the high-quality shows you put out each week. So a heartfelt thank you from me. I really, truly appreciate every That's show nice. and every every moment each week. So thank you so much. And also thank you for all the hard work you guys do for Give Kids the World. That makes such a difference in families' lives. And I just think it's a real testament to who you guys are as a team. So thank you for that too. Um, Question for Pete. 
a while back, the team did a show on their favorite times of year to go to Disney World. And um, I was wondering what your favorite time of year to go to Disney World is. And once you choose that, wondering what your what hotel you would stay at and what your day would look like. So I guess I'm kind of asking, what would your ideal day at Disney World be, including what time of year? Looking forward to hearing it, hearing your answer. And um, Pete, I was kind of thinking this would be something for your solo show if there was room for it. Thanks so much. Um, you guys give this Canadian girl uh, her little dose of Disney each week. So thanks so much. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Nicole. I appreciate the kind words. I, uh, oh, so what's my favorite time of year to go? You know, I, there's not one answer to that. My, I absolutely love, you know, we're, we're coming up on it now. Um, that uh, September starts, uh, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, Food and Wine Festival, then, of course, that kind of dovetails into Christmas. So September to December, I absolutely love being at Disney World. I That being said, I love January because that is, like I said, the uh, earlier one of the few months where the crowds are lessened doesn't mean it's empty but it's just not as crazy as it is other times of the year i also love may i love the spring um i love flower and garden festival so also kind of along the lines of what i was talking about earlier in the show it's also about managing my my own expectations you know any any time i'm at disney world is a good time anytime i'm at disney world i'm happy to be there I just have to manage my expectations. I can't go in August and expect to have the experience I'm going to have in January. And uh, so part of it is is that, is in terms of, you know, just managing my own expectations. I will say the contemporary has become quite close to my heart lately in terms of where I like to stay. I like the contemporary. And I, I just I can't believe I, I'm saying that because, you know, one of the first shows we did all those years ago, I trashed the contemporary, especially concierge. I got to say their concierge floor is among the best, maybe the best in terms of its staff that I've seen at Disney World at least. But uh, of course, Fort Wilderness, cabins. And again, you know, it's, it, it's kind of like asking the question, what month do you like to go? I like to go with whenever. There are things about many of the resorts at Disney World that I love. I love the Poly. I love the Contemporary. I love Fort Wilderness. I love the cabins of Fort Wilderness. Each of those three things, and that's not even the complete list, but we'll just leave it there. Each of those three uh, uh, resorts, completely different experiences. Completely different experiences. I'm not going to have the same experience at the Poly that I'm going to have at the Contemporary that I'm going to have at Fort Wilderness. And that's one of the things that makes it so special. That's one of the things that even if you have been doing this for 20 plus years, and even if you do it for a living and you're there all the time, which I shouldn't say I'm there all the time. I'm not. When it gets hot, I ain't there. I just can't do the heat in the parks. But that being said, I can go and have these experiences and just it's different every time. It's special every time. Yeah, because of what I do for a living, I'm going to pick things apart because part of what I do here 
is about saying to people, look, this wasn't up to par or this was great or, you know, part of what we do with the show is about helping people make more informed decisions on their vacations. These are expensive trips. But what would a perfect day look like for me? Well, I got to tell you, back in May for the 24-hour event, that was pretty much a perfect day for me. You know, spending the day at the Contemporary, waking up a little late, sleeping in because I knew I was going to be up late, group of friends, nice dinner at California Grill, and then over into the Magic Kingdom around 7 o'clock, 7.30, stay there pretty much until 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I heard people complain that it was crowded and it was, the lines were long. You know, yeah, it was crowded. It was crap, but I, I don't know. I It didn't bother me. And again, I, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I'm looking at who I'm there with, and I'm saying to myself, is it really that big a deal that the line for Seven Dwarfs Mine Train is an hour and 15 or an hour and 20 minutes or two hours long? Is it that big a deal? No. No. Now, I realize I live here, and I can go down and do it whenever I want. But even if I'm not, even if I'm here on vacation, is it really the end of the world? I mean, I could wait on the two-hour line, but I don't want to. Is it really going to ruin my entire vacation because I didn't get a chance to do it? Only if that's what I decide is the standard by which my vacation is either a success or a failure. So it was crowded for the 24-hour event, but... You know what? I had a blast, and I didn't find the lines ridiculously long. I don't know. As I, maybe I'm maybe I'm chilling out as I get older. I, I I don't know. I don't know. But I hear some of the people talk about it. For me, that was a perfect day, though. That was a perfect day, and I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything. But again, I was also focused on. I was there with friends, and we were just having a great time. Just having a great time, and it's that party atmosphere. And I'm telling you, there is nothing better than a party in a Disney theme park. And I've been to a lot of them. And those special events, New Year's Eve, 24 hour event, things like that. Mickey's Not So Scary, Very Merry Christmas Party, even the Villains Unleashed at Hollywood Studios last year. There's a vibe and something special about these parties and those those experiences that I, I just, I'm sorry, I think they're worth every penny and I, I love them. So for me, that's a perfect day. A day where I can stay at the Contemporary, walk over to the park, have dinner at, dinner at California Grill, which is amazing, amazing, expensive, but you're not having dinner. It's a culinary experience. So hope that answers your question. I, you know, I, I always do these solo shows thinking people are going to hate this, but I will be honest with you. This feels great for me to do this. There's something about it. I don't know what it is. Last time I did it, I felt the same way. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know why anybody would want to listen to me ramble like that. That's why I like doing the round table because there are other voices, not just mine. But I, I appreciate it. I just didn't want a show not to go up this week, and there was no way we were going to be able to do the normal show. And uh, so 
I, I hope this is a, a satisfactory stand-in until the week following, which I'm assuming we're doing a show a week from Tuesday. Uh, if not, I'll do another one of these. But I'm thinking most of us are going to be back, so we'll be able to do something here from the studio. But that is going to do it. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be with you again next time with another edition of The Diz Unplugged. Thanks for being with us, everyone. And remember, go to Disneyland. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a good week.